Thanks to Cry Malt. This is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News. And as ever, I'm joined by my good friend, colleague and semi-professional beer drinker, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. G'day, Matt. Semi-professional. I just tell, you know, so what do you do for a job? So I get paid to drink beer. That's a profession. Uh, or is it a vocation? I think it's a calling. A calling? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's kind of like, like nursing or, um, you know, firefighting or um, teaching. They're not so much careers or jobs as, as vocations. And you do it for the good of the community. That's right. Steering people towards good beer and drinking responsibly and all that sort of stuff. That is our mission here at Radio Brews News. Mate, what's been up? What's been happening? Well, you know, you're very busy, I'm sure, with um, corporate season, where they're all trying to sort of, you know, get their Christmas parties and tastings and, and all that sort of thing. Um, we're in sort of, you know, choir... Carols by candlelight and dancing mode down here uh, in the family, so um, very busy that way. Uh, it's a, it is a busy time of year, so you know, my girls aren't in the dance, so I miss the on, on, ensemble thing, but it has been very busy with uh, Christmas events, so uh, yeah, I think I've got about four this week, which is great. It's great to see, you know, I'll tell you what, Prof, it, I started doing beer tastings close to well, 10 years ago now. And you'd sort of go cap in hand to a restaurant or a venue and just say, hey, look, there's this new thing, you know, really good beers coming out. You know, it'd be really nice if we could hold a tasting. And just the the effort that went into convincing a bar or a venue to host a beer dinner um, just, you know, was overwhelming. You, You pretty much gave up any sort of you know, control or, you know, you gave everything up to them. Yeah. Just convincing them to do it. Any hope to make any decent money out of it. Yeah, yeah, just just for the privilege of being able to introduce people to good beer. Yeah. Um, and these days, like, it, it's really exciting to see the response that you get, um, the, the number of people who are coming and seeking out a beer education or a tasting. And, uh, you know, like last week I did a, a Christmas party for 90 or 100 uh, people. Um, you know, we had a, a mixed bar, then a tasting bar and cheese, and it was just so well received um and the, the week before that i did it at the uh Inogra army barracks you know so uh 150 officers and their families uh you know wanting to learn a little bit about beer and mm. uh you know tasting you know stonewood pacific ale obviously went down very nicely but then we had a whole lot of other stuff like uh lasseran saison um feral white you know some of the beers that you know certainly no double ipas or anything like that but you know Beers that certainly have a lot more going for them than uh, Summer Bright Lager. So, yeah, no, I, I love this time of year, and I feel, always feel very energised by the uh, take-up of good beer. Yeah, excellent. Um, well, today we're, we're chatting with uh, the, the guys from Temple Brewing, and that was made possible because I was, uh, thank you to the very generous people at Line, who, for reasons that we cannot quite understand, decided not to fly us up to Forex Island, Prof. No, but but they did fly me down to Melbourne to check out the launch of the new uh, White Rabbit Brewery. That's part of, as I highlighted last week on last week's show. Um, it's part of the White Rabbit uh, Brewery that is part of the um, Little Creatures Complex down at the mills the in mill. Geelong. Yeah, the, the mill in Geelong. And uh, mate, it, tell you what, it really was um, a, a, a great experience. Um, yeah. Maybe because they paid for me to go down there, but um, oh no! Well, actually, that's as you know, Prof. Uh, that, that's not always true. I, I've always thought that the Little Creatures Brewery over at Fremantle is one of the great beer drinking experiences in Australia. You know, it really takes good beer and puts it in a very 
appropriate Australian setting where it's relaxed and it's not just about the beer? No, no it's convivial. It's about beer as part of a, a, a broader cultural experience and uh, the history of the place and the, you know, the, the ambience and the view. And I mean, sitting out watching the sunset with a, a pint of, of pale um, is just something, it's, you know, it's Marbo, it's the vibe, it's just, it's just the vibe. But exactly, it's just those those things. And the, the Little Creatures Brewery um, has always really focused on the details. I've just got those little details that are quirky. And, you know, you, you've seen the influence that they've had, um, and some of it which has been imported, but a lot of it is their own, uh, you know, seemingly original ideas. And you've seen that really spread out to some of the, uh, you know, bars are calling themselves um, dive bars. And uh, so it's had a big influence. And they managed to really recreate that feeling in Geelong, but still keeping it very different and working with the uh, room that they had there. And if anyone hasn't been down to Little Creatures in Geelong, I highly recommend it. Great Ocean Road is one of Australia's great um, journeys. Yeah, or get down the surf coast, go down to Lawn or Torquay, Ocean Grove, while you're, you know, on the way. Okay, so Lawn's not part of the Great Ocean Road? I'd always thought Lawn was... I think it's kind of, yeah, the start of it. Okay. Or it's somewhere along the Great Ocean Road. But, yeah, yeah. But, but a lot of people just go, oh, we'll do the drive, which is lovely. But um, the, the Anglesey, I mean, there's some really great little hamlets to sort of to stop off on the way. And, of course, you've got Blackman's Brewery down there. You've got um, uh, Prickly Moses has got a, um, a, a presence down there. So there's there's plenty of other places to visit while you're down there as well if you want to do it, if you want to do a, a bit of a beer tour. A great place to do that. And uh, Yeah, and so the White Rabbit is in one of the other mill rooms across from the little creatures, but they've managed to keep it, give it its own personality whilst it's still in a, a very similar building. And uh, it was, I was very lucky to have a tour with Warren Pawsey, um, the head brewer for Little Creatures, who showed us around the, the, the complex and the brewery. And um, I, I have to get the article when they announced that uh, White Rabbit was moving from Hillsville. You know, it was a little bit, you know, here we go, you know, the lion's taken it over. Um, it is interesting to get the background story that Hillsville had never really found its uh, place um, and moving it down to you know, be part of uh, Little Creatures. They've kept all of the uh, open fermenters and I posted some uh, video of that. Um, it, it's, have you ever seen the open fermenters, Prof? Yeah, I was lucky enough to tour uh, the week before the brewery had opened um, at Hillsville. So is it still an open fermenter but it's hermetically sealed in a kind of a big glass room and you can sit and watch uh, on the video screen, you can watch the beer fermenting? Yeah, absolutely. Well, this the new one, um, it's in a hermetically sealed room. Um, so it's not so it's open fermenters, but they're not doing spontaneous fermentation or anything like that. It's, it's just... Yeah, uh, it's controlled. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the room is hermetically sealed, so you don't get wild yeast in, but it's still an open fermenter. And watching it, as you see it, you see the crowds and sort of being forced up um, out of the fermenter and it spills over down this little chute where they um, collect it. Um, and it, it, it's quite mesmerising. It's, it's a lamp. It's a, yeah. yeah. Um, and speaking to Warren, and this would be why it'd be good to, to get him on the show, um, just of talking about what that, you know, if it's not spontaneous fermentation, what does this do? And, you know, the, the, the different pressure um, for having an open fermentation as opposed to a closed fermentation um, it changes the, the, the esters and the phenolics that are um, 
uh, created by the yeast during the fermentation. So it's just the, the, the different pressures, they perform slightly differently. So you get a little bit more of that raisiny um, yeah. character for, for the beer. So it's so all that headspace and, and the, you know, the oxygenation and all those sorts yep. of technical kind of things. So, yeah, it's, it, it can't recommend it more highly enough. So, yeah, it's fascinating. It's, and, you know, it, it's also great to chat. I mean, Warren's a, the, the sort of bloke who is very, very passionate about what he does. Um, and it's always a lesson to people who want to say, oh, Little Creatures isn't the same since Lion took it over. You know, spend five minutes with Warren and uh, it will completely change your mindset because he, you know, is very uh, upfront um, when discussing uh, what it is. And it's, it's very much a quality focus, not a efficiency focus that they've got down there. And, uh, you know, he, he talks about the hopping regimes and the struggles that they've had to try and keep the – and this yeah. is something you've written about in the past, Prof. Um, yeah. You know, trying to keep the character of little creatures um, the same when, you know, hops are only harvested once a year and trying to blend Australia. So, yeah, that was, I, I think we'll get him on. But I, I can highly recommend anyone uh, who – yeah, you know, likes the beer as part of the Great Ocean Road uh, beer tour. Um, yeah, head, head down there. Definitely. But anyways, but, but that takes us to that's, Walsh that's what got Melbourne. you to Melbourne. Walsh, yeah, and, uh, yeah. Funny and, thing uh, happened while you were in Melbourne, Matt. Well, I took a detour to uh, join up with you and uh, chat to the guys at Temple Brewing, um, and we had the whole crew there. We had uh, uh, sorry, no, it's Nick uh, Pang, not Nicholas. Nick Nick Pang, uh, Mark Waghorn, who is a uh, as you hear me say, he's a refugee from... Uh, and there's nothing pejorative about that. He is... Uh, well, uh, well, let's see how it sounds when you say it live. Okay. Listeners, you, um, listen, keep listening and we'll tell you how you can get in touch with me. And uh, press, press one for yes and two for no <laughs> if you think Matt offended wags. And we also got to uh, catch up with uh, Glenn Harrison, who's a head brewer, and uh, try their very tasty uh, um, Pilsner. So. Pilsner, yeah. I guess rather than tell you what we said to them, we'll let you uh, listen to the conversation we had. Nick Ping, Mark Wakehorn, welcome to Radio Brews News. Thanks, Matt. Thank you very much, Matt. Well, I don't know, Prof, uh, where, who, who we start with. We're not, we're, it's a little bit odd, isn't it? It is odd sitting around. Because uh, <laughs> if I want to ask a question or something, I can actually you know, like make eye contact or, <laughs> or raise I, a finger. Or, <laughs> or I can see your uh, sort of filthy looks. You can, you can see me <laughs> nodding off. I can see the stink eye. But uh, oh, look, I, I guess uh, the, the best place to start, uh, Nick, is uh, at the beginning of uh, Temple Brewing. Now, you weren't uh, um, here at the start, but uh, as I was just saying off air, um, my first, uh, bef even before there was a Temple Brewing, really, I met uh, Ron uh, Frulio when he was a home brewer, um, and he was gypsy brewing before gypsy brewing was even a thing. So that's going back uh, you know, at least eight or nine years. Um, and he started... Uh, when he was uh, brewing it at various places around, slowly building the brand and then built here. What was your, how did you come to, to be um, involved in Temple Brewing? Uh, well, I guess uh, looking at the history of Temple, I probably came in, uh, I'll probably consider the latter end of it. Um, it was roughly my involvement started about two and a half years ago, where uh, they had already built um, the brewery in Brunswick East. Uh, and then had within probably about a year of that had some some problems, uh, you know. Here, I got involved firstly as a consultant. business problems, production problems, problems. Okay, well, both business and production problems. Um, I got I got I got involved, um, you know, to have a look at what uh, what their challenges are and to come up with a solution. And how did that come about? What, what's your background? Uh, I'm actually a restructuring consultant. So at that point in time, I just finished. Uh, working uh, for Price Waterhouse at the time and I was looking for something different to do. I'd uh, taken some time off 
uh, I just spent some time with my very, very young kids. Um, and uh, yeah, I was asked to come on board and have a look. And you liked it so much you bought the company? Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> well, it didn't, didn't start off that way. We started off, uh, firstly, finding out a solution. Uh, we, I did, um, or the, a group of people that I put together uh, to help uh, make that solution happen. Presented a plan. Uh, at that point in time, I think Temple was made, it was actually a partnership. Uh, the other person involved you know, wasn't exactly sure that that was what they wanted to do. Um, and ultimately, the company went in liquidation. Uh, so I saw that as an opportunity. And the noise you're about to hear is Brewer Glen Harrison delivering a tray of uh, the, the, the new Pilsner. Yes. Um, you've really got to be happy when, <laughs> A, we, we get to do Radio Brews News Live, then we get to do it in the brewery, and then the brewer <laughs> Cheers, everyone. Cheers. 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 Yeah, thanks, Cheers. Glenn. Good man. And this is the WAG's, the new Power, sta power Stance Pilsner. Power Stance Pilsner um, that's been on tap here at the brew bar for, for some time, but um, we'll release into the core range in February. All, all plans going well. Sorry, Nick, yeah, so uh, before Glenn uh, brought us the beers, we were talking about uh, the, the, how you entered the business. Yeah. Uh, so I said that I came on pretty much at the, at, towards the end of, I guess, the, the, the first version of Temple, I guess. Um, so the company went to liquidation ultimately. At that point in time, I started getting an understanding of what the craft beer industry is about. Uh, the people that I've spoken to sort of said, Lord Nick, if you're going to go and do it, we'll, we'll support you. So we made an offer to the liquidator um, and uh, essentially bought, uh, bought the assets, I guess. Um, and then pretty much uh, started the process of rebranding and, and just uh, you know, looking at all the, I guess, the weaknesses of the old business and seeing what we could do to, to build up from that. And are you willing to have a bit of a chat to, to us? I mean, it's a big vote of confidence to come in to a business that's got a few um, you know, issues going on um, and to see that, that there is something worth purchasing yourself there. Can you tell us a little bit about what you learned about the, the business that saw it struggle a, a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, what, I guess, gave us the confidence, uh, or gave me the confidence to do what, we do, what we're doing was... Uh, firstly, I think uh, there was a team of people, uh, which I, th I think we, we, we still, we still, majority of we still have, apart from the original owners. Um, I, I saw a, a lot of potential with the with the uh, with the original team. Uh, the other thing was uh, the beer, um, I, I, and where where we sat in the in the in the craft beer scene at that point in time. I still consider very much of the craft beer market is, is in its infancy stages. So to already have this foundation, I thought was something that was an opportunity. And then after that, it's just what we make of it. Uh, but uh, I came into this looking at it as a very, very serious business. And um, you know, uh, you know, it's the, the way we make our beers, the way we need to look at it is it has to. There's got to be strategies behind everything that we do. That's a sort of approach that we've slowly been chipping at for the last sort of year and a half uh, that we've sort of been in, in the serious business of, of craft beer. It's sometimes the craft beer industry has, has been sort of likened a little bit to, um, you know, like elite sports teams where it, it's a sport but it's a business as well. But it's got that, I guess, that um, the heartstrings, it's got the, you know, the, the product is a whole, you know, there's, there's a lot of emotion sort of. Um, 
attached to you know people's favourite brands and that sort of thing. Did you come in, I guess, Price Waterhouse Cooper's background as a as a numbers man who then saw we we also need to maintain, I guess the. I that, saw an opportunity. The ethereal yeah. kind of. I saw, I saw an opportunity to actually blend the two, to look at something where to walk into an industry with so much passion um, and uniqueness about it and then and then try to build it into an actual business model because there's probably no secret uh, that what we're looking at out here on the on the brewery floor was was uh, operating very much under uh, anywhere near capacity and as most people know beer is very much a numbers game yep it doesn't cost you that much more to, to brew a million liters than it does a thousand liters in terms of your equipment and all that sort of thing same equipment um, and not, you're not making very much per unit, so the more units you can make, obviously the, you know, the better off you are. Was that the first kind of um, That's exactly I guess, right. challenge for you? It is. Uh, for, we invested quite a bit, our focus for the first year, and hence also the reason why we were a lot quieter in our first year when we were back, was just focusing on production um, and production ability. Uh, my aim was always making sure that we had the ability to not only put out uh, a good volume of beer, but putting it out consistently at a quality that we're comfortable with. So having all those measures in place before we started the, I guess, the growth was what I was about. Um, and as I said, it's, it's, it's everything else behind it. I looked at it as like a manufacturing warehouse, all the best practices, you know, batch coding, making sure that we had quality checks in place. We were able to track things down essentially to almost, uh, you know, the, the bottle. Yeah. So what was the what was the barriers to getting more volume before we, before you came in? Was it there wasn't demand for it, or there were production problems in the brewery that meant that you weren't making full use of the equipment? Yeah, it was both. Uh, production wasn't being run the way uh, it should have been, uh, and there were not a lot of checks and balances and procedures in place to run that. Uh, look, you also need. There's a big difference between just being a, a you know a brewer. brewer. Um, and from a person who has experienced production brewing uh, and certainly the introduction of Glenn as the head brewer has been has been a fantastic um, thing for us and it's, it's finding that right person uh, who has experience working in a large brewery understanding production brewing what my aims were trying to achieve. It, it, it's a hard one to talk about because I can't think of two nicer people than Ron and Renata um, when, when they started the brewery but you know, and, and Ron was an exceptional home brewer. Um, it, was, it was his home brewers that I, I first tried. Do you think for the investment that they put in here that they had the skills or maybe they could have used some assistance earlier in setting up the business, do you think? Yeah, look, I, it's hard to say that. I mean, not being sort of there previously uh, when they looked at setting it up, I, I don't know what the, uh, you know what the thoughts were, what the plan was. Uh, I only sort of saw it when it was already done and you know the business was already cracking and all I could do at that point in time was comment as to what I saw and, and looked at. You know? um, but it certainly is a challenge, I mean brewing game is something, is, is one of those industries where you need to invest for the future. Um, for example that is, if, you know, you've got to have enough mentors all the time because as you grow you don't want to get to that point where you just don't have enough to give to people, then what happens is the business starts to sort of drop off a little bit, unless there are exceptions to the rule where you're a stone wood or something and you can just say, well, 
just, people, just have to they'll, they'll they'll wait. wait for it. <laughs> <laughs> they do, you know. But that's an established brand, you know, not 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 a, not something that's uh, only a couple of years old. So and to be fair, I, I don't think they're happy about saying that. Yeah, <laughs> that either. Yeah, but it, it's a nice. I mean, it's a nice. It's place a better to be. problem to have. It's than, a better problem yeah, to have. We're waiting but, on fermenters sitting yeah, on a dock somewhere. Yeah, but the majority of us will be. It's all about making sure that we we are able to constantly supply, and that means um, forward thinking, future investments, and whatnot. So it's a real hard one. How much do you invest? How much do you throw at this? How much do you throw at that? It's always a bit of a gamble. We're sitting here in um, in Brunswick East, uh, often miscalled. East Brunswick, but it's Brunswick East, uh, and I guess we're we're at the the heartbeat of um, what's become, I guess, the craft uh, culture in terms of whether it's whether it's coffee or small goods or um, or beer. Uh, is Temple still, I guess, concentrating on it, on its own backyard primarily, and then growing organically, or is there a, a, a I guess a mindset that we need to get out of here and, and you know, spread our wings, get into state, get out a little bit more? Yeah. Look, um, I would probably say uh, certainly there's a focus within Victoria itself. It's not really, yes, we, we need to grow within our backyard, but as part of that strategy, it's a focus on Victoria. But in saying that, uh, I'm not discounting the other states because ultimately, if you go back to the business model, it depends on volume. So depending on how our volumes um, can handle and production grow, we will just naturally organically grow with that and if that means other states then fantastic that said i've uh, just come I'm, I'm in melbourne having been down at uh, the little creatures brewing in geelong um, last night for the opening of the new white rabbit brewery and they're talking about capacity issues down there um, as well they've got much bigger yeah. footprint um, yeah. but they're still at capacity and looking at it you know we're in a um, you know moderate sized uh, warehouse um, the equipment that we've got arrayed in front of us um, is pretty small to be looking at a national um, distribution. Mm. Um, how, how big, you know, what, what um, issues have you got to confront with a, a brewery this size trying to create, you know, first of all, service your backyard and then look at a, a more national distribution? Yeah, well, that's, that's the constant challenge, um, capacity and storage. Uh, and that's where, as I said, you know, Forward thinking is very important in this, in this business because it's not something that you arrive at a strategy and it's something that you can execute straight away. You've got to build it in over a few years. So already uh, Mark and I are looking at, okay, what are going to be our needs for the next two years? Um, we're probably going to end up, you know, we're starting to work on strategies for three to four years now uh, because we need to look that far ahead um, and build a plan appropriately. Um, okay, at what point in time do we need another brewery? Um, and as you, everyone appreciates, that, those things don't happen overnight and they cost a lot of money. So it's being able to keep on top of that and having that plan in place to continue supporting the business appropriately. Yeah. The downstairs um, brewery bar area and more recently the new um, beer garden has seen, I mean, I haven't been here, uh, this is about as quiet as it's been because we're not actually open. Um, but it's, it's, uh, there's a vibe, it's a really thriving sort of place. Is it important for Temple that you guys stay here if, if for example, we, an opportunity came up to, to move, to build a production brewery if that was, was needed? But would it, would it need to be like in the area or is that not as important as the... Certainly where we are now in the brewery will stay. Um, it's the home, uh, will always be the home and, um, uh, you know, of, of, of Temple. Uh, if we get to the stage of 
building a production brewery somewhere, then look, you, you know, ultimately you just have to look at the dollars and cents and what works works for us. Uh, you know, I, unfortunately, when you get to that point in time, you you can't really look at and just play the heartstrings and say, oh, I'd love to stay in Brunswick Beast. That would be fantastic if somebody offered up a, a massive warehouse here that we could take on. So, so basically, on. despite sort of being yeah. welcomed in with open arms and, and fully absorbed, like yeah. mafia-like, into the craft beer industry, yeah. Nick Pang still has a bit of a, a dollars and cents hat on. <laughs> that, that'll, never, that'll never go. Unfortunately, it's part of being a bit of a Chinaman. <laughs> <laughs> Does having a, um, a name like Temple as opposed to East Brunswick... Uh, Brewing Brunswick, Company. Yeah. Brunswick East Brewing company um, does that make it easier for, for you to make those decisions or do do you think that companies that name themselves after their area do box themselves in a little bit um, with, with brewing off uh, yes no. um, uh, ultimately uh, you know everybody has an origin story and as long as you appreciate and you keep to your origins as best as you possibly can um, Ultimately, it's you know as long as you're producing beer that you're proud of, um, I don't think that's an issue. I think Matt and I just yesterday were, were speaking about uh, honesty in the story that brewers promote about yeah. themselves, and, and at the end of the day, I guess yeah, that's the that's the key, isn't it? If the yeah. if the beer is is telling the the honest truth, correct, then the rest of it just kind of you yeah. know, they'll follow. That's exactly right. I mean, I think people are today understand that we. You know, it's not it's not just a hobby thing. You know, for craft beers to be to make a a, a a actual impact in Australia, we've got to have volume, and with that means that um, uh, you know we can't always just do whatever we want. There'll be things that we have to give up as we grow. That's just part of life. And I, th I think people tend to put the emphasis on craft beer in craft beer business as opposed to yes. perhaps the business. That's exactly right. Um, but it's but for us it's important. We we know what our ethos is. Uh, we know what we want to create in terms of the beers, and we'll stick to that. Just before we talk to Wags about um, empire building and world domination, <laughs> yeah. that sort of thing. Um, just quickly, I guess the two beers that were synonymous with Temple uh, Temple Mark One, if mm. you like, were the Saison and the Pale Ale. Yeah. Two beers which are conspicuously absent yes. from your really yeah. uh, diverse and and all encompassing. Yes. core range yes. is that a uh, I know because Glenn Harrison coming in mm. oh, I spoke to Glenn uh, at length about as a brewer do you come in and, and try to I guess make you know mm. we in all the corners do you try to establish yourself and, and, and make your own beers yeah. balancing that with needing to stay true to what it is perhaps that has built the temple name yeah. so is the, the pale and the and the saison mm -hmm. so synonymous with the original temple yeah. not there because of that to, to I guess to establish Temple Mark II, or is it just that you know, yeah. the new brewer, that's, that's not his thing? It's, it's probably a mix of that, but I mean, we, I very consciously rebranded. Uh, that was the first thing I did when I bought um, the assets, which was, which was a rebrand Temple. Uh, along with that, though, you've you got to also understand that, I mean, um, there's no point us trying to be something we're not. And, uh, you know, the Saison and the Palau were very, very much part of Temple version one. If I can't do that um, the way it should be done in the Temple version one, then I shouldn't do it. And that's just something we just had to admit to ourselves and say, well, that's never going to be us. This is something else. Um, so again, it comes back to let's, let's honestly brew the beers that we can do and do it well. 
Having spoken about three and four year plans, uh, it's probably a good time to introduce uh, Mark Wagle, and Wags is affectionately known, affectionately known um, a refugee from. The body's not even dead, let alone still warm. Oh, well, yeah, okay. Uh, re 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 refugee had no pejorative sense, but from Mountain Goat, you, uh, you uh, did flee. <laughs> no, well, you, you, you left uh, Mountain Goat. During the very, transition. Very soon after the uh, announcement, and uh, yeah. found, found a home very, very quickly here. Was there a. Uh, some forewarning, had negotiations started before uh, yeah, before uh, the announcement? Yeah, I'm obviously going to be careful what I say here, but um, I was privy to... Trust me, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you how much. <laughs> <They're good. laughs> how much? I get asked every, every week. Uh, I was privy to to the sale going on at, at GOAT, so uh, time frame was, was the one thing that, I, that none of us really knew. Um, so... Um, had the opportunity to speak to, to Glenn and Nick. They just wanted some advice about some sales team and, and, and stuff like that. So happy to chat to people about that through, um, throughout my journey. But it um, wasn't until after I came here and, and spoke to the guys that I kind of realised that they ticked some of my boxes. Um, so Which we, are? Local brewery, 100% produced on site, independently owned. So pretty, pretty three key things for me. Um, had most of those at GOAT. Unfortunately, there was a bit of contract stuff going on, um, which, was, which was great for, yeah, which, <laughs> which was great for the businesses growing, but um, I think having it all here on site and just having access to all this is, is a really key part to, to my ethos so, and why I got involved in the industry yeah, from the start. So. And, and we, we bumped into each other uh, last week in Brisbane, so yeah. you're obviously sort of looking, have, having talked about your backyard and uh, looking at what what the plans are. You you, you obviously have eventual plans to, to put greater focus into other states. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're already uh, our beers are available in all, in all states through through our distributor distributor Phoenix Beers. So it was just getting on the road, seeing how those guys do business. Uh, ultimately, before the end of the year, so um, checked out Brisbane, checked out Sydney. Um, obviously, got some good connections there with venues and, and owners and stuff like that. So just getting out and sort of waving the flag a little bit before the end of the year. And, and see how our beers are presented and, and uh, any feedback uh, from the state. So, it's, yeah, it was good. I, I'm surprised every day about the people that know of our beers or have heard of Bicycle or any time. It's, you know, it's really, it's, yeah, it's great for us. Have you found that uh, coming in, you've kind of given, I guess, Nick and Glenn to an extent, a, another fresh set of eyes so soon after they were the fresh set of eyes coming in that it's, I guess, maybe, there just seems to be a different vibe in the in the month or so, a couple of times that we've been able to catch up. Yep. Um, there, there just seems to be a, I don't know a reinvigoration or yeah, a, everyone's just walking that little bit taller. Yeah, I think always someone new coming into the business will always give you know other people a sort of shot in the arm and maybe see things differently and, and how that we could do things differently. So um, yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think we're all we're all pretty excited about what uh, what lies ahead for us at Temple and um, yeah. Because there's certainly a buzz in the industry that you know uh, that you guys have, have. A lot of people have landed on their feet in terms of um, Dave Myers. Yep. Um, we're just talking about little creatures, so ex little creatures, and more recently uh, Rocks Brewing yep. um, has come on board as well. So that yep. I guess um, th there's a feeling that wow, you guys have lucked out in terms of there's some people looking for new opportunities, and they all happen to have landed here. It's a big opportunity, but it's also I guess uh, a risk to to I guess. Um, not take advantage of that opportunity. 
Yeah, I suppose I wouldn't be doing my job if I let people like that slip through my fingers. But um, I mean, and it wasn't until I got here as well, like the, the absolute bones are here in this business and, and it's great. Um, we just we just need to sort a few things out in terms of distribution and, and production wise. And um, Nick and Nick and Glenn and the team are letting me do what I do. And, um, and that's acquiring people for, for sales and, and looking for more distribution channels. Mate, tell us a little bit about your background, because you're with Goat. Uh, I mean, you were probably as closely associated with Goat as uh, Cam and Dave in, in in a lot of people's minds. But tell us a little bit about your um, background in in the brewing industry. Well, my first beer company I worked for was Snowy Mountains Brewery. Um, I launched their product uh, into Melbourne when they were a Sydney um, contract brewery. Um, so that was my first taste in beer, and that sort of went a bit... Um, and how, how did you get, even just uh, taking a step back, how did you get uh, in, in, into that gig? Yeah, so before, I mean, I've been in the liquor industry for 25 years, um, born and bred into motels and pubs throughout Victoria with my family and then uh, went into um, the wine industry really um, and was managing um, back then um, Dan's Murphy's son Philip had a chain of liquor stores in Melbourne um, and they were more sort of fine wine outlets and uh, I managed a few of those stores for him for about six and a half years. So you lost your way for a little bit but then came back back to beer. So it was yeah it was wine and then I went into wine wholesale um, on the road with Berenger Blast which was part of Foster's group. Um, and then uh, a couple of other little independent wineries along the way and then ultimately had enough of the wine industry and it was hugely competitive and there was a bit of a glut going on at, at that time and, and, and saw that job for Snowy Mountains Brewer and just went, wow, well, I like beer, um, I like their branding, I could see what was going on, went and found the beers, tried them and went, well, I could sell some of those to a few of my contacts. So presented them a list of people that I could do business with immediately and they put me on board and started selling and sold, some beer. Sold some to me. Um, that's got to be 10 years ago. That was yeah. where, we, where we met very briefly, yeah. Yep. Now, yep. I mean, a lot of people won't remember the Snowy Mountains brand, but again, going back um, when you know, Cooper's was a rare thing in a, in a lot of venues, it was one of the early um, modern incarnation craft breweries. Yeah, with, uh, yeah. Kevin... Kevin O'Neill. And O'Neill yeah, uh, yeah, started. Yeah, yep. So, yep. Um, had a P.O. box in Jindabyne, but yep. lived nowhere near it. And yep. sort of, uh, once a year, would make a beer out of melted snow water. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, that's right. Apparently, <laughs> that was all apparently. about <laughs> and, uh, but, but no, but despite that, the, the, they had an interesting range of beers for back then. Yep. Um, very strong brand, and uh, you know, for a lot of people, um, it was their first experience with um, yeah. craft beer. One was, of the first Hefeweizens. Yep. Yeah? Yeah. Um, was... Ultimately licensed to Barons, which uh, yeah, in the end, yeah, licensed licensed over to to Barons. Um, I, was, I caught up with Kevin not too long ago, and you know, I just I always say to him, you know, if you could have just hold on, that you know, it was two years more, I thought, and um, they would have been in a fairly good position, I, I think. Um, but he unfortunately couldn't. Um, but yeah, the business was was um, was handed over to to Barons, and then um, then there was a bit of issues with Barons not too long later. So um, ultimately, I was out of a job um, within a couple of months with Barons, um, and then shuffled back to the wine industry for a little while, um, where where Cam gave me a call and asked me what I was up to, 
Um, I, we so always you'd obviously met Cam. Yeah, through. we'd always kept in touch over the years. I always I used to take people down to the brewery um, from from my wine stores and stuff like that. So I did tours and went down on the trade day and stuff like that that they that they used to hold at the old brewery. Um, and yeah, he got in contact, wanted me to be a salesperson for him. I said I wasn't interested. Said when you're looking to grow a bit bigger and you want someone to look after a sales team for you, that's that's when I'm interested. So. Um, yeah, he rang me. Yeah, it was it was a couple of years later. He rang me and said, "I think we're ready to to grow. So let, let's chat." So fortunate enough, I, I, so I got. What year would that have been? Ah, uh, that was um, where are we? Two thousand twelve. Yep, yep, two thousand twelve. Um, yeah, start two thousand twelve. That was, um, and. Um, yeah, I mean, I had no experience um, managing a national sales team or looking after national sales accounts or anything like that, and, um, and told them that's what I wanted to do, and, and they gave me the opportunity. So, nearly nearly five years at Goat, um, yeah, was uh, was a fantastic time in my career. And without, you know, I know you're a very humble man, so you're not, you know, you're not going to blow your own trumpet, so we'll we'll do it for you. But you had when you talk about, uh, you know, like a national sales team, uh, you had like Anna up in Brisbane who was working part-time goat and part-time yep. for yep. other you know yep. like a main employer and, and yep. with with permission doing you know yep. she's now on board so you, you kind of set up I guess established the the sales team which I think really helped um, goat become that national identity have yep. that have that national presence yeah that was our number one aim was to become more of a national brand um, and that's what ultimately I was employed for. So when I started, we had, you know, had two salespeople in, in Melbourne um, and grew that to nine across the country over the, over the five years. Um, and you know, to have people on the ground talking about your product, um, I mean, that's how you grow national brands. Sure, you can do more business with national chains as well to help get that footprint, but um, yeah, having, having people on the road, getting key distribution out there as well is hugely important. So, so on a, from a personal point of view, like a, a little bit sad to see the, I guess the end of, of that portion of an era, mm -hmm. um, or the, did what I could, ready for new challenges kind of attitude, or is there a bit of both? Um, very sad, absolutely. I, I, I thought I would have been there for the rest of my working career, okay, to be honest, and, and that's, you know, a lot of us felt that way, um, but... Um, is that mainly, do you think, because, I guess, GOAT was out on its own. I mean, we've, we probably forget about Grand Ridge, yep. who started a couple of years before Go, yep. as in 89 versus you know, 97, 98. Yep. Um, but realistically, I guess Goat was the, the first one that, that got traction and got, um, I guess, that je ne sais quoi, that, mm. that kind of, you know, there's just something about them attitude. I suppose that's, you know, goes right back to the start with Kim and Dave just doing that underground stuff. I mean, selling... The goat army. From the music industry and it had that yeah, sort of yeah, real yeah. underground... Yeah. Guerrilla marketing and... Yep. Selling you know. selling capes and t-shirts before they ever had a beer and, and yeah. stuff like that. And Buying just, your own beer and drinking it back so that you could... And, and it all comes back to, to a culture, I suppose, within the business and, you know, saying that, you know, none, none of us thought that we would ever leave Goat and that's ultimately because of the culture and the, and the personnel within that business. So, so is that why everyone's so surprised? Or was that just for, for a business like Goat, in order to go to the next level, we can either, like Cam and Dave, can either keep doing the same, do we wouldn't do the same thing again as our family starts getting older and, you know, needing more, I guess, you know, yeah. uh, taking those opportunities with your kids as they get older and that sort of thing. Do we want to do the same thing again for the next 18 years or do we want, does it need to go to the next level and we can't do that? Yeah, 
I'm not really sure and uh, about that, but I suppose they were so heavily involved in the business right up until the end every day. And I think if if that was to continue and, and keep growing the way that we were, I think they maybe realised the workload that comes with that as well. And uh, you know, knowing Cam fairly well, like he it's hard for him to let stuff like that go yeah. and you know it's, it's their business and they would ultimately have to hand it over to people so they could have more time with their family and things like that and yeah well i was actually thinking we probably should call the brewer over so you're sitting there quietly uh <laughs> well and, and since he brought us beers so you brought us beers glenn <laughs> well, uh, uh, glenn harrison welcome to radio brews thank, thank you very much mate uh, tell us a little bit about uh, you before we uh, start talking about your beers uh, what, what's your background in brewing and uh, where have you come from i guess before i got the opportunity to come across the temple um you know obviously just after you know, the previous ownership thing happened i spent six years at hargraves hill so <clears throat> Brewed all their beers you know, at the original brewery before the bushfires, and then obviously re-establishing the new brewery. Uh, before that, I did a little bit of, before I actually started, I did a little bit of sales, which soon realised I'm not really a salesman. <laughs> uh, I think we all find things we're good at, and I'm definitely think I like to think I'm better at brewer than I'm a salesman. Uh, before that, I'm from New South Wales originally, so my background's all running pubs, bottle shops, I manage wineries, so I've pretty much done alcohol since I was 16, so I pretty much don't know anything else. And you started as a glassy in a pub, didn't you? Yeah, I started a glassy in a pub That's when where I was I Yeah. Back when you could have I, only I stayed as a glassy in a pub. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, w w when did you get into brewing? Um, I guess like a lot of people, I started home brewing. Um, that was purely growing in the mid-north coast, New South Wales. Spent time in, over in Europe when I was a little bit younger. When I came back to New South Wales, realised the only beer I could still get was two years new. Or maybe VB, and realised after spending you know, two years over in Europe drinking everything over there, I needed something else. So I started brewing. That's how I started. And then when I moved to Melbourne with my wife, my girlfriend at the time, I said, "Look, I want to see if I can actually become a brewer full time." Um, fortunately, I had a very understanding partner who went, "Yep, yeah, absolutely, go for it." So I applied to stay through Ballarat Uni and did the two-year graduate certificate course while doing the trying to do sales. And then, um, yeah, managed to get the job up at Hargraves and went from there. And to be fair, you really, not, not invigorated um, Hargraves, but certainly I think one of the criticisms before you came along was, was the consistency. Uh, and part of that was, you know, working out of a effectively, I guess, milk vat equipment in a, a tin shed at Steel's Creek. Oh, to, be, to be fair, it's a... Oh, look, the original brewery was absolutely... Um, it, it, any, it, getting consistency out of that you brewery could, you couldn't do it now. Yeah, so I, guess, I, don't think, I don't think you could do that now. I don't think you could build a brewery nowadays like the original Hargraves Hill and actually expect to get any beer out of the market. I really think it's such a struggle. So I do think, you know, with the new brewery that came on into Lilydale, I think definitely allowed for better quality of beer straight away. But I think also having someone whose job was just... Just to brew, you, you know, all I did was look after the beer and made sure. So I think it allowed me to make sure the consistency of the beer became better. I wasn't pulled out to do other things. I just you know, spent five days, twelve hours a day just pumping out beer. So I think it helped me. And then in in hindsight, Hargraves produce better quality, consistent beer. Now tell us a little bit about uh, the, the pilsen we're drinking because, oh, and it's hard. I'm sitting with with the guy that made it in the place that it's made, and that always makes any beer taste better. Um, that Allowing for that, this is a crackingly good Pilsner. This is just um, bready, it's got a nice bitterness, it's just a wonderful, 
you know, Prof, uh, I, I can't ask Wags, but uh, Prof, you know, <laughs> Professor Pilsner, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Just, just to add to your, your list of things I can't say bad about this beer. <laughs> um, yeah, this was, I think was one of the, the head snap beers for me uh, when it first came out and we happened to be up here. I think we might have even been doing a, an event or yeah, yeah. elbow skin, I think we're up yeah. and maybe you know, when it first came out. And I thought, my God, this is just incredible. Like, this is proper Pilsner. This isn't mm. dipping your lid to Pilsner and saying, oh, we'll kind of throw some SARS-like hops. And, yeah, and look, I guess that's sort of where the inspiration came from. Look, I, you know, I, I, I'm probably not seen as one of these out there massively experimental brewers. You know, I think you know, there's so many great beer styles around the world that there's enough variety there for, that I'm more than happy just to try and keep using those. And occasionally we'll do something a little bit more left to feel, but generally keep true to style. I think one thing that no one's really embraced, I don't think many people have embraced yet, is a really true to style craft pilsner. Um, there's a lot of, there's some lagers out there and there are some so-called pilsners, but they're you know, two-week turnarounds or three-week turnarounds, yeah. or they're the new world stuff, chuck a whole bunch of American or New Zealand hops in it. And, and make up for the lack of Yeah, call it, call it a pilsner. So when I said, okay, well, I want to do a pilsner, but I do want to give it the eight weeks. You know, I want, to, I want it to lager for eight weeks. You know? Financially, it's not the smartest move you can do because it ties up a tank for eight to nine weeks where I could turn that tank over three times. That, But I think if just you... watching Nick shake his head <laughs> over <laughs> The numbers, man, just, just lit up. But I think if you, want to do a, if you want to do a style, you've got to give it justice. So this is 100% pure German Pilsner malt, one German hop, German yeast, and then, yeah, and time. What, what's your mash process? Oh, uh, we do. I do do step mashing, so I do 49, 52, 55, up to 65, and then up to 79 for mash out. So we do do. I guess you've been the beer nerds listening to this, <laughs> just <laughs> scribbling stuff down. What you're I guess the great thing is, um, obviously, last year when I got to brew with Frank from Weisterfahrt, um for our collaboration brew day, I've still we still keep in contact. So he's always someone I can always go look. I think about doing a pilsner. What do you think about this? And he'd come back and go look. Maybe look at these temperatures or try this and that and he didn't that. pull his punches well, either when he came over last year he no, was sort of shaking no. his head at the whole the whole modern craft yeah. uh, brewing thing yeah. so. now, the other thing too is that obviously you know you're looking to expand and, yep. and, and build the team yeah. Frank's no longer at Vine Stefan have, yeah. you, have you like got uh, him to update his CV and perhaps yeah, come well, out for an interview <laughs> our next guy will be a keg washer so you could probably, <laughs> probably start again like um, oh, like it's just great to have those sort of contacts that you can just get in contact with if you need to or just go look what do you reckon I mean and a funny bloke to have a beer oh, with too. Absolutely, and you can throw him back too. Just yeah, oh, yeah, drunk. yeah. You can. Don't know if and I sings. Get... Yeah, he's a... <laughs> gets the whole room singing. Yeah, he's a German interesting guy, great guy. Songs. So, so yeah, let's go back. We just wanted to make it traditional and really just go. But I mean, a lot of people read um, about traditional pilsners yeah. and they sort of immerse themselves in their culture and they have very strong views about it. Where did you learn? To make a pilsner like this, apart from just of saying I wanted to make it authentic. Look, I've, I've never really. The first batch that I did was the first time I've really done. Like, I mean, you can't do it. Like to me, you can't do a pilsner like this at home brewing. You can't do it. I never had the. I never did it at Hargraves. So it's just something I've always wanted to do. So it's, it's research, talking to the right people, and picking the right people's brains, and just knowing. Like it's to me, it's a lot of research, a lot of research. I'm always saying it's not hard to make a good beer. It's hard to make a great beer, but it's not hard to make a good beer. If you follow the basic rules, you should, at the end, come out with a Get good, a clean beer. And that's, the, that's to me, is the first battle of every brewery. It shouldn't be whether it's this massively great hoppy beer or this. It should be, is it clean? Is it crisp? Is it free of faults? 
you tick those three boxes, you've got to be the people that drink and keep drinking again. So down here on a Thursday night, Friday yep. night, Sunday afternoon, yep. the beer garden, yep. it's pumping. Bicycle, obviously. Yep. Anytime, very, very popular. Yep. Where does this sit? This is right up there because people, people come in like, oh, we always talk about, you know, we've got, we've got 5% of the market, whatever we've got. So 95% of the people who walk in that front door aren't craft beer people. They're just coming in because they've been bought by friends or they want to check us out or something. So they want something they know. And they see the word Pilsner and they go, oh yeah. So they don't necessarily know what a Pilsner is, but, but they, they know, they know, they know, the, know word the word Pilsner. But see, that's, that's where yeah. you say that. And I've always watched, Pilsner's one of the styles that have never really caught on anywhere because they're a little bit too betwixt and between. Yep. I remember Pete and I had a long chat about this when Big Helga came out for uh, Matilda Bay. It had too much flavour for a lager and not enough flavour for uh, craft beer, inverted commas. Um, because one of the things about an American pale ale or some of the styles that really sparked craft beer is that they are so different that you know that you're in another People place. can taste the hook. Yeah. And so if you make it too subtle, you know, what am, well, I, am I missing something here? Or Whereas Pilsner is one of those really debauched styles where you know, a lot of beers that are like Australian lagers are still called Pilsner. Yep. Yeah. Um, and to have something like this where you can taste the malt, like you just get that really lovely all malt character, but then you've got this very long, dry bitterness. There's no fruity aroma. There's you know, a little bit of... Uh, um, grassy yep. floral um, aroma in there. It is a pilsner. Great. I, I actually find this does almost leave people scratching their heads. I think. Like, I think it's sort of. There's going to be some people who come in who aren't going to really get anything we do, and we we do a lot of drinkable sessional styles. But I think yeah, it's one of the ones that we can at least maybe push people onto first. They can sort of see some of the characteristics that they may be seeing a lager or something like that. But there is, yeah, there is a bit more, a little bit more flavour there. So they may hopefully convert them across, and then. But the other day, if isn't that why Kolsch and uh, Golden Ales and those, you know, yeah. uh, like Furfy style beers, yeah. they have come in because they're just that half step to the, yeah. you know, the, the shuffle yeah. to the right, as yeah. opposed to a. a but they're a also they're right. also aimed at me being more sessionable. So for your average mainstream lager drinker, I think this is going to ask a bit of your palate in yeah. terms of that yeah. crisp, firm. Sort of bitterness. I, I, I could drink. I, I could drink it all night. You know, and I'm fully aware that I'm sort of sitting with a bloke tomato, but it is just. A, I, I say yeah. nothing. Yeah. It's one of the few times I say nothing. And wags, we're um, we're not giving away any trade secrets by saying that this is going to become yeah, part of the the bottled range. Yeah. Well, well, Where does it sit? Where's it going to go? Um, well, it'll sit in. Yeah, it'll sit in right in the core range and line price with the bicycle and any time beer. It'll go into three thirty mil bottle. Uh, as I said before, it's it's been produced already for our brew bar downstairs. And when I first met up with the guys, one of the first beers I tried as well and was pretty blown away by it because um, there's not too many out on the market in, in the Australian craft beer scene. So um, yeah, we've got some we've got some good plans for the Pilsner. Um, it's a little bit of an unknown. Um, especially for me, I haven't had an experience really sort of doing a whole lot with these styles of beer. Um, but we're making room for it and we're dealing with the eight weeks in the, in the tanks. And um, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be a very important part of our story. And those who, those who know Glenn Harrison well will understand the, uh, the meaning behind the, the nomenclature. The I, I was going to ask you, but the, I, I don't. So I don't. the naming uh, of this particular Pilsner? Yeah, it sort of comes, it's, it's sort of... Uh, Taking the Mickey out of myself, the way I, whenever I do a talk, generally in front of a group, I have a, I have a stairs that I sort of, it's just my comfort stairs. 
Uh, we had the arms crossed and the uh, the chest and out, leg, yep. and legs, and legs slightly apart. Yeah, yeah. It's just something that I never realised I did it. It was my wife at first told me I did it, and then everyone else keeps picking. So is Deb responsible for? No, no, no. But no, Deb's the called. Oh, no, Deb's or... called it the power stands before. Deb called it the power stands about ten years ago, <laughs> um, and then other people have also picked up on it. And I never realised I did it. It's just how I've always stood, but I do it talking in front of people. So I guess some people think I'm with my arms crossed that I'm. Defensive, I'm, I'm defensive. Or, yeah. It's just I just find it comfy. Yeah, so <laughs> that's just how I do it. So yeah. you don't know what to do with your arms. It's, yeah. it's better. It's, stick yeah. them in your pockets and you're going to offend exactly people. Right. So, so just power stands. Yeah, so that's where the power stands names come from. So, Wags, how important is a name in selling a beer? Yeah, pretty pretty important, Matt. Um, yeah, the defence proffers exhibit uh, a fat yak. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, we can't blame uh, Wags for that. <laughs> no, no, no but, no, but what I'm saying is, uh, in my yeah, years yeah. in hospitality, the number of people say, oh, I've got to have one of those. Oh, yeah. Have you had an American? I don't know what an American pale ale is, but I want to have a fat I, I want to have, So the name, the name got to me. Um, yeah, the, the number of times I pull out uh, feral hop hog, and, and we saw it at the exhibition. Oh, the Ecker. People come oh, up and go, can I have that hop pig? Beers. Yeah, can, can, can I have the hop pig? Can I have pig? a fat pig? Or, or a fat pig or yeah, whatever. And pig. They don't get the name right, but you know, they, 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 they know it's got something to do with, uh, you know, bovine? Bo bo no, yeah, no, they're cows. Pork kind. Pork kind, yeah. <laughs> I don't, not sure. Poor scene. I don't think, uh, is itchy green pants still around on the market? I'm not sure. I haven't seen it for a little while. Nor is yeah. Big Helga. But that, that was the thing. You know, well, Big Helga became Helga because, you know. Well, we, which was delisted this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but again, it showed you that they cottoned on, you know, they almost don't know how they did it, but they just sort of jagged onto something by calling a beer fat yeah. yak. And, uh, I was talking about some of the, um, the boxes that, that Temple ticked for me coming across, and that, that bicycle beer is absolutely one of those big boxes for me. I, I believe in that beer heavily. I love the name of the beer. We spoke about that beer a lot at Goat and, and the way that they, they named that, and we thought it was a fantastic name for a beer. As opposed to going Rattler, <laughs> which is, you know... Or Summer Ale, or, yep. Um, so yeah, you don't you don't box yourself into a into a seasonal beer naming it like that. It's fun, it's evoking, and the beer itself drinks like that as well. So um, yeah, very very important naming it naming the beer and and the design absolutely. And then you've got Rye Hart, which is uh, another one of your bottle beers. Obviously, a play on to the movie. Um, well, I'm, I'm assuming it's a play on. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Die Hard, yeah. Um, which. Again, it's a little bit of a, a step, it's more of a pun than a clever, insightful, descriptive name of, of the beer. Yep. Um, Took me a little bit longer to get my head around that beer. Um, and I, I only heard about the history of that, that was the... Ailstar. Yeah, it was the Ailstar. Yeah. yeah, so this, I guess this beer originally just started as it was going to be a one-off. It was purely a one-off beer. But it was really well received. So we then spoke about it and going, well, people have been asking, are we going to bottle it? And we went, well... We bowl it. We we named it Ryard, so I don't. We need to keep that name. I guess we need to keep that name. Just keep going on with that now. So it's. And I guess. I mean, this is not. This is me obviously talking as a non-marketing salesperson, but it's sort of to me it actually fits because it's that. It's not in the core range. It's sort of. It could be a little bit more playful being outside the core range, so it can be a little bit. You know, maybe a bit of fun and a bit. That and the, the look of the label is obviously yeah, very different as well. Exactly right. I mean, it's still. Sort of, a lot different. So. We're having a little bit of a tweak with those, the Ryehard and the New World Order labels at the moment. We're bringing them in line using, uh, continuing that plectrum okay. shape across all beers. So, um, yeah, we are, we are going to bring them in line. I didn't even realise that was a Temple beer the first time I saw it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so we're just, we're just yeah, making sure people are aware. Same problem that Fat Yaks had as well. 
And maybe Nick, sort of standing off to the side, not sure who answers this question. Who gets to decide what the next beer is? Is it the brewer? Is it the guy who has to sell it? Or is it the guy who has to pay the bills? Uh, the guy who pays the bills doesn't get a say. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess it's it's always been... I guess it's always sort of been me, but knowing that we actually have to... like, I'm not someone who's just going to go and brew a massive big beer that's just not going to sell, or something that's not going to sell. There's no point even myself putting the time into a beer that's just going to sit at the back of the brewery in kegs and trickle slowly to the bar. I think all decisions now, I think we're really going, no, we, that's all have our say, and that's all make sure whatever we look, release is, it's A, it's probably fun for the brewing team, but then B, is, you know, the sales team can sell it, which brings in some money, which gives us some brand awareness, it gives us, so we definitely speak a lot more now, don't So, I like to say it's me, but it's probably more of a team effort now. <laughs> I'm still only new. I'm just just slowly, slowly getting in there with Glenn. Yeah. <laughs> I think too, probably one aspect um, of the business that that for me I think is key to your success and particularly your success into the future. Um, people like Yvette and Scooter, who um, I guess are the, the sorry, front just of house. for the people listening at home who don't know who Yvette and Scooter are. I was just about to explain. Okay, sorry. <laughs> they they work here. <laughs> no, but in terms of, of marketing and, yep. and um, promotion and that sort yep. of thing and, and being the, I guess, the consumer-facing um, element of, of Temple, those guys obviously have a great opportunity because you, you, they're the ones who are, I guess, face-to-face with the, with the punters going, this is really nice. Are you thinking of making a... I used to really enjoy... Um, I've had a beer that was this flavour. Does that information I get I guess get passed back to you guys in terms of this is what people are after or people are loving this or I guess whatever. it comes I mean I get it, I get it from sales guys I get it from everyone now and yeah, everyone always have you know, this is what we hear this is what we hear I think but I think we're smart enough now to get you know we can't chase everything yeah mm-hmm. we have to get you know what we've got you can follow themes though yeah yeah we've got, yeah we, I mean we've got five core cool, five beers now five bottle products once, once the power stance comes out and I think that's a good range to have as a core. You know, I've always seen the negatives of some, maybe some breweries who have 18, 20, 25 bottle beers. To me, that's it's not something I ever want to do. Um, you know, we have the opportunity to do some experimental you won't stuff. You keeping many in a tank for eight weeks if you're... <laughs> no, <pregnant>. no. <laughs> no. So we can do experimental stuff and one-off kegs through the bar only. But I think the broader public, I mean, I don't think we need really any more beers. We've got any chance of a, a pale ale or a Saison maybe at some point? Oh, I won't say no to anything, but unless I won't say yes. <laughs> yeah, when it, when it happens. I mean, I have ideas of what I want to do next, but um, yeah, no one's listening. Just tell Pete and I. Yeah. What you think oh, no, I'm going to run past the salespeople first. <laughs> but um, there's certainly, you know, there's certainly new things that are coming out and new ideas that we're doing. You know, we do have, we, you know, we've got a new beer coming out in a couple of weeks' time. Would that be on the 12th of the 12th? I think so, yeah. I believe that's what the marketing people have decided. It's coming up on the 12th. It's all very secretive and hush-hush, and we're getting invitations, and I'm going, but I don't yeah, know what I'm going that's to. Right. That's good. It's, um, yeah, look, those sort of things. So I get to, we get to play, but we can't, we can't get dragged away from our main focus, which to me is the, the main five beers. And I think you need to brew these brew beers often and more often to keep getting them exactly where you want. Like, I'm not 100% happy with any of our beers yet, and I never will be. But... You know, the, releasing a new beer, a different beer every week, you can never tweak that beer and make that beer better. Yeah. Mm. So at least with five core beers, we can always try to make those beers better and find new ways to make people drink them more and enjoy them more. Yeah. 
Terrific. Well, that's probably it. Mark, uh, Nick, um, Glenn, uh, thank you very much for joining us on uh, Radio Brews News. I guess the, the last thing is, uh, where can we get them? Um, um, well, they are avail available nationally. Uh, we're working on our tap distribution in Melbourne at the moment, so they're starting to pop at a few more places. Um, uh, all good independent retailers uh, across all states will, will stock our product. Uh, recently, Bicycle Beer has gone into Dan Murphy, Victoria for us, um, and any time IPA into vintage sellers for us up the eastern seaboard. So there's some, there's some options to, to get the beer. Um, the Rye Hard and the New World is sort of more, uh, you get a little bit more on-premise action with those. Um, so a lot of bars and cocktail bars are supporting us with those products. So. Should point out too that Temple have been great supporters of um, a lot of beer festivals in the last, uh, so Temple Mark II, um, and that's somewhere where I think a lot of people who may never have heard of the brand get a great opportunity to um, experience. Yeah, we'll be doing a fair bit awesome. more of that in, in the near future, getting out about meeting some people at these festivals as well. Yeah. And yep. obviously coming along here, uh, if you are from Melbourne or coming to Melbourne in uh, Brunswick East, prof. Yep. put it on your list. Put it on your list and uh, yeah, we'll uh, obviously link to the brand new venue. But guys, thank you very much for hosting us in the, in, in the brewery today and uh, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Brews News. Thanks, guys. guys. Cheers, fellas. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. There you go, Prof. Mate, Temple's, I've, I've really always had a soft spot for Temple, primarily because of, you know, I, I had a really deep, um, you know, like for uh, Renata and Ron um, when, when before they even started, and they're just really passionate. It's, it's very sad, you know, it's just one of those things that you see, you know, two people poured their heart and soul into. Yeah, exactly. You can look at it, I guess, as, as two, two halves of the same sphere. Um, and without one, you know, you wouldn't have the other. It, it's a shame that it kind of, I guess, organically kind of, you know, grew into that. And um, but by the same token, it, it, they must be, I guess, proud of the of the legacy that they've that they've left. Um, and to know, I guess, that it's in great hands in terms of um, the beer coming out uh, under Glenn's um, eye, uh, and that that it will. Prosper as a business under under Nick's guidance. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know it's just one of those things. I think you know to to stand back and see the quality of the beer in that beautiful venue they were brewing in. You sort of think, well, you know, th th this place is going to uh, to go leaps and bounds, and you know, passion and idea ideas aren't always all that's needed uh, in in the world of craft beer. No, no, exactly. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what, with so many new breweries coming on, uh, yeah, um, whether we see other similar stories or whether we see, you know, more going from strength to strength. But anyway, look, it was a great chat. Um, always, you know, it's the first time I've met Nick. Um, and, you know, what a lovely, you know, I'll tell you what, I'd certainly love to sit down and have a chat to him before I, I did go ahead and open a brewery. He, uh, he certainly brings the business chops to it. And it came across very clearly that he's willing to, you know, get the right people on and listen to them, um, 
you know, to, to their advice. Yeah, he's one of these guys who can, um, okay, look, everyone be quiet and listen when, when we're, I guess, when the subject comes around to, to my area of expertise. But he's also, on the other hand, willing to hand over uh, control to those who, you know, brew the beer, sell the beer, the things that aren't in, in his sort of, I guess, you know, core talents, which is, a, which is sometimes a, a hard thing to do. Like you could see Nick, Nick sort of walked away to, to have a bit of lunch, but uh, you could tell he still had an ear on the conversation <laughs> while we were talking to Glenn and Wags. Yeah, well, and, and you, you might have even even heard Glenn uh, chatting away on his phone in the background, uh, <laughs> completely oblivious to the fact that we well, were. Well, no, he, well, to be fair, it was the business phone, so he was he was talking to somebody about uh, you know booking uh, for a, you know perhaps a, a corporate Christmas or something at the brewery. So you know it's that's working without a net, working live, Matt. Yeah, <laughs> and it doesn't have to be with animals or children. Anyway, yeah, but next week we've got another. Um, Refugee, uh, for want of a better word, from uh, and it, it's not like refugee in a bad sense. And it's, it's not like just, we're collecting them. It's not like we're oh, you know, let's go oh, and no, ring well, everyone it, who used to work for Mountain Goat, because uh, that would be uh, a very, 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 very long list of of a lot of uh, very key brewers and key people in the in the beer biz um, who you know got their their start um, and then spring springboarded sprung board um, from Mountain Goat. It very much would be. So actually, maybe we should uh, do that um, at some stage. Yeah, Where are they there. now? <laughs> yes. But we, we are catching up with Tommy Delmont, who was uh, one of the Melbourne-based uh, sales reps for Mountain Goat. He was the original, has, the original Road Goat. Original Road Goat. And yeah. uh, has recently announced that he's uh, in partnership with the guys from Stone and & Wood and Square Keg to come out with an IPA-only brewery. Um, so we'll catch up with Tommy next week and uh, talk about uh, all things IPAs. Yeah, looking forward to it. But until then, uh, now we, we only got this show, we recorded this last Tuesday, only got it up uh, Monday. We're recording this on a Tuesday, so there hasn't been a lot of time for any feedback to come in from our chat with uh, Steve Jeffers about the Hottest 100. Um, and, and, and Matt, to be perfectly Francis, um, it's really only when we, we, we drop the ball or, or let our game slip that, uh, that our, our listeners seem to be um, keen to uh, give us an opinion. When we're doing things well, they're happy to just go, no, no, I'll stay out of it. You guys just keep doing what you do. And just criticise us. or No, not criticise us. Just uh, point out when we're not being regular, which yeah. is probably the best fair sort of cool. feedback. Fair cool. Where, where the hell are you guys? But uh, um, So there hasn't been any. Now, we'll, we will try and get these back up on Friday so you can listen to them on your weekends um, and uh, we are working towards that, but we are at least getting it regular. Um, so we haven't had any uh, cards or letters. We haven't had any uh, comments on the web page. We did have um, a phone call during the podcast that I answered later from Owen Johnson talking about the IPA, sorry, the Galaxy Hop issue and whether or not it was... Uh, uh, hybrid or GMO? Hybrid or GMO, and it's certainly not uh, GMO. It's uh, perfectly natural, uh, traditionally uh, hybridised. Um, interesting, yeah. You know, uh, still have a slab because your phone went off during the Radio Bruce News recording. Okay, I'll, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll send you a Christmas slab. Put it for the Christmas party, yep. Okay, put it for the Christmas party. And uh, But no, it, it's, it's nice to hear that people of uh, Owen's uh, calibre are listening to the show. So uh, if you're listening again, OJ... Uh, don't be a stranger. You know, thank you for phoning in, and hopefully we uh, cleared that up for you uh, last week. Um, the only other comment that we had, now, Prof, uh, iTunes, somebody has followed our advice and... We got a review, uh, did we? We left a review, so we've got 24 reviews on iTunes now. Listeners, if you if you do enjoy the show, we don't ask you for money, we don't ask you for anything other than a little bit of your patience, 
And if you like the show, or even if you don't like the show, help other people find it or let us know how we can improve by leaving a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast software. Now, I don't know how to check any of the other podcast aggregators for reviews. So if you have left one on another one, please bring it to our attention uh, by email. Cut and um, paste it, send it to us. Now, let's see. Stu217 um, has left a review on iTunes. Now, I've got no, I, I don't know who Stu217 is. Um, it's his first review, so we've got no other. Okay, so uh, yeah, nothing else to base his his particular taste on. Um, but it is a little bit questionable. He has left us five stars, but his review is headed "I'm a prof fan," uh, and he says, "I'm a big prof fan. I saw him. I, I saw him on stage in a tent a few years back at the Ballarat Beer Festival. Thanks to him, I know the birth date of Pilsner. Dot dot dot. It was a Thursday." <laughs> I remember, well, there you go. Yeah, he might have been the one who, or yeah, it was obviously in the tent at the time, or he could have been the one who Googled, um, you know, like um, history calendar and found out, you know, what day in 1842. <laughs> um, oh, there you go. So there you go. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much to you, 217. Uh, um, if anyone else would like to help their friends or other people find, and just sort of give us a bit of a, a bump on iTunes, please uh, jump online. And it doesn't have to be five stars. Just give us uh, what you're worth. Um, we're not like Uber. They won't kick us off if uh, you give us a one-star no. rating. Um, but until next, so we, we Tommy Del not next week. Um, we do have a couple. We are going to try and catch up with Warren Pause. We've got a couple of other guests that uh, we're dancing around with, trying to sort of uh, see if we can meet their riders and green M and M's and that sort of thing, Prof. That's it. Yep. And uh, we'll also see if we can do a special Christmas show for you, listeners, with a bit of a you know perhaps a podcast from the pub series. That would be that would be rather wonderful. To stuff your stocking with. <laughs> Sorry, okay, Prof, with which to stuff your stocking. But uh, we might uh, strike up the band and uh, sail out here and, and get looking for a Christmas themed beer barrel polka. I think we do. Yeah, if any of the listeners out there know of or can play um, a Christmas themed beer barrel polka, but not on the recorder. Jingle please. barrels, something like that. <laughs> there must be. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Google that now and see what comes up. Okay, mate. Catch you next week. Take care. See you all. And we're out.